Hey everybody, Sam Melliger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I am grateful for you listening to the 60th episode of the Melliger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. The goal this week, the goal every week, uh, is to be worth your time. This week we're going to do that with some honest Royals talk here at the top. Then questions about press conferences, the hot dog race, being a fan, and summer cocktails. The bonus segment is with Angie and Chris Long. Uh, They are the Kansas City entrepreneurs who bought and now run Kansas City's NWSL team. I have to tell you, uh, what they're doing there is really interesting um, on a lot of levels. It's a big bet that they're making. And anyway, we're going to talk a lot more about that soon. Uh, right now, I want to start this off with the Royals. Many of you have been frustrated, and I hear you. The Royals had this roster and farm system that before the season, you could sort of like squint and imagine them being in a playoff race, you know, in August and September. And, you know, then uh, their best player has finished uh, seven of 70 games uh, and been on the injured list three different times. Their their best two pitching prospects have been promoted and demoted. Uh, the starters aren't going deep enough. The bullpen isn't consistent enough, especially after Scott Barlow, who is on pace to appear in about 80 games. Uh, and the offense hasn't provided enough, especially, you know, after Sal Perez and Carlos Santana. So, you know, Danny Duffy has been terrific. He's also basically missed half of the season so far. So, um, look, the Royal, the World Series was six years ago, and you know the Royals haven't been anybody's threat since 2017, and that's probably the most generous reading of it. And these are all real problems. And I hear you, a lot of you guys, um, asking about Cal Eldred's job or Mike Matheny or Dayton Moore. Um, look, if, if we use the timeline of the last rebuild, I think we're probably closest to like 2011, 2012. You know, prospects are being called up. Uh, big league rosters being tweaked and you know it's a group that's trying to learn to win together even if that's frustrating a lot of us feel like that part of it should be a little bit faster just with the age and and sort of the background of a lot of these guys so anyway like the point the biggest thing i want to talk about here is like sometimes it can feel like the bad stuff you know only happens to the royals which you know among other things is you know just a byproduct of major league baseball kind of you know becoming more of a local sport than a national one right but if you talk to Twins fans about Byron Buxton, they will give you the same frustrating story that you are living with Mondesi. Um, but in their case, it's with a guy who's 18, 20 months older than Mondesi is. Um, Alec Lewis uh, of The Athletic, he pointed this out on Twitter the other day. Uh, but Nate Pearson is the top-ranked pitching prospect to be called up this year. And the Blue Jays sent him back down after a bad start. Tristan McKenzie uh, doesn't qualify as a prospect anymore, but he's younger than a lot of guys who do, uh, including Kowar and uh, and Lynch. And the Indians sent him down after 10 starts. He had a 6.38 ERA, league high walk total. Um, we could pick apart others, but that's not the point. The point here for now, I, I just want to point out like the context of the world in which the Royals are operating. You know, so what I see is a team that's had like some bad luck with injuries and, you know, doesn't have either the margins or the talent or the confidence or whatever you want to call it, just hasn't been able to get through the challenges that playoff teams get through every year. And this is not me here telling you that they'll get through those challenges, right? Like, I don't know. It's part of the fun of watching games, you know, at least for me. But my best guess is that they will. But like, you know, with any build, like once they win, It'll be with a slightly different coaching staff or a slightly different roster or whatever than what they have right now. The Royals have to make better decisions than other clubs. And when they miss, then these regressions like we're seeing, you know, with Hunter Dozier and Jorge Soler, they hurt a little bit worse. And, you know, the struggles of of Jackson Kowar and Daniel Lynch, they pop out a little bit more. 
and you start thinking a little bit more about, you know, Brady Singer maybe being on the edge or, you know, Brad Keller having a rough start or, you know, a bullpen that's been stretching a little thin. Like, I actually thought the first two games against the Yankees this week uh, are kind of a good microcosm of where the Royals are. Like, they won the season opener as just a wild and fun comeback. Carlos Santana had the big double. Ryan O'Hearn drove in a run with an infield single. Uh, Greg Holland, like, walked that razor's edge in the ninth. Uh, it was a fun game. And then the next night, and, and I thought Vahe put this really well in his column, uh, where he said it was like uh, both a game the Royals never should have been in because they walked eight, and also a game they should have won because they blew a few leads. Um, it just it makes it a great metaphor for what the Royals have been so far this season, just sort of more broadly. And then, you know, that game, obviously, they, they lost in the ninth when, you know, Holland just caught a little bit too much played a few times. So, look, nothing I'm saying here is is uh you know making you feel better about the royals probably i'm guessing um that's fine that's not the point like the the point i'm making here is that nothing in baseball happens easily or smoothly or in a straight line and even when you look around baseball we see like some teams that maybe it probably feels like that and there's some i'm (laughs) i'm not here to blow smoke right like the rays are doing it better than anybody um but they got rough moments too you know like this is just kind of what happens with everybody so I don't know. Like I, I'm not here to tell you the Royals would be a winner. Um, you know that they'll recover this season and get back in the race, or even that they'll be a contender next season. Like I don't know. All I'm trying to say here is that we also don't know that they can't do those things, right? Like not yet. And uh, you know we have 1,000 percent seen wilder twists right here in Kansas City. You know what I mean? Like uh, <laughs> if I'm betting, uh, I'm betting that the Royals would continue to have you know kind of an uneven season. And, you know, sort of generally exist in that space below contention, but also above the sort of like bottoming out that we saw in 19 and 20 and that we still see with, you know, the Orioles and the Rangers and a few others around baseball. Um, you know, the, the key then, if that happens, is not just to get these in-house guys like Kowar and Lynch on track and, you know, whatever we'll see from Bobby Witt Jr. at some point. But also figure out a way to get some length in the lineup, you know, and some depth in the bullpen and, and kind of go from there. Like one more time, like nobody can tell you that the Royals are, are going to win, you know, and however you want to spend your time is your business. All I'm saying is that the story is still being written. And for me, the most interesting stuff is often, you know, when a team is being, you know, uh, built and they're struggling a little bit and then we get to see how they react and adapt. And I think that's what we're going to see now. Okay, um, guys, before we move on to the rest of the show, uh, I cut the early spiel because this one is longer now because this is where I make my ass three ass. I'd be thrilled if you did one or two, but three is the gold standard. Uh, the first, please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and, and I'll send those to you. Uh, the second, please rate and review us. Um, Savannah and I appreciate all the love you've given us already. Um, and I see you and I thank you because we see all the five-star ratings you've given us already. But I'm just saying... If you haven't already done that, uh, if you haven't, you know, rated, reviewed, whatever, please do it. Really helps us get the word out. Um, five stars only. Help us out. Uh, the third thing, uh, please, if you want to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone. Call anytime. 816-234-4365. Or as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDLE. All right, guys, uh, I know I'm asking a lot, but that's how it's going to be. Subscribe to the Sports Pass. Give us a five-star rating and review and call in with with those questions. Um, Okay, please, please, please. All right, quick break, and then we are back with those questions. 
Sam. Good afternoon. This is Rob Massari from Hendersonville, Tennessee. Wanted to ask you about listening to the recent Chiefs press conferences and a lot of no answer, you know, generic um, kind of sports speak uh, in relation to uh, some of the uh, questions that were given. Wanted to find out if you ever remember a time where either Royals or Chiefs player answered something that maybe went beyond or well beyond where you thought the answer could go and became either controversial, highly critical, potentially gave you column after column of uh, content, um, surprised you or maybe just you or all your colleagues that were involved. would love to hear that story and kind of better understand how that, uh, I guess, affects your position, your job as a columnist for Kansas City Star. Thanks again. So I don't know if this is exactly what you're looking for, but um, just off the top of my head, there are three press conference moments that, that really stick out. One with the Chiefs, two with the Royals. Um, the, the Chiefs moment happened a few years back. Um, Alex Smith was still a quarterback, and I forgot the particulars of the game, um, but he had to have played really well, and he must have taken some big hits or something because uh, then this exchange happened. <laughs> yeah, Alex, you got to show off some of your toughness here tonight. Something we haven't seen a lot here in Kansas City. Soft. Uh, yeah, I mean, I. I mean, guys, I love that. That that is one of my favorite audio clips of all time. Um, and and it was ridiculous at the time because we could all fairly criticize Alex Smith for a lot of stuff, but like toughness was just never one of them. Um, even before he came back from that just horrendous leg injury. Um, that audio, I want to give credit, that, that comes from 610's Cody Tapp, by the way. Um, and he loves that clip uh, every bit as much as I do. So thanks to Cody. And uh, you're just going to have to take my word for it on the next two because I don't have the audio. Um, you might remember these, though. One was uh, sort of late, like in the 2014 season. Um, Alex Gordon hit a walk-off home run. And then after Ned Yost, like unprompted, basically just talked about how the, the crowd was too small. And I get that he was trying to drive interest or whatever, have his players back, but he sort of went sideways because then, like, in that, in his little, like, spiel or whatever, like, he made a comparison to Atlanta and, you know, saying that when they were winning, the city really got behind them and filled the place up. And, I mean, it was just, like, patently false. <laughs> you know, the, the Royals, I mean, all these things can be looked up, right? Like, the Royals have been drawing more than the Braves at a similar point in their process. And, you know, I think any criticism about a lack of support was just soon just thoroughly demolished um, by what we saw from Royals fans after that. Um, the third one, and this might be the one that most of you would probably best remember, um, but the third thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, after the 2013 season, it was Dayton Moore's, like, in a small way, I feel like we won the World Series deal. And, you know, that was, like, just one of those really stunning moments, you know? Like, wait, like, did he just, what did he say, you know? And, um, look, I've gotten to know Dayton, I would say, like, fairly well over the years. And, and I thought I knew what he was trying to say um, in that moment. So I, I stayed around after the press conference broke up and just, you know, sort of let him expand on it. And, you know, even by then, you know, just probably 20 minutes after he said it, like, Twitter and the sort of, like, quick reaction crowd was just roasting Dayton. Um, you know, running with the idea that, uh, you know, them winning 86 games and, you know, being eliminated, you know, a few days before the last day of the season is, you know, just as good as it would get. That the Royals, you know, wanted a parade for, for not having a losing season or whatever. But, um, you know, what he was really trying to say is, you know, that the Royals have been broken, <laughs> 
broken for a long time. And it wasn't that long before that, that, you know, the crowds were small and, you know, the fans who did show up often did it to watch the other side. And, you know, even worse, like the, the jerseys of, you know, Derek Jeter, David Ortiz, guys like that, uh, who played in other places, um, you know, were, were the, the jerseys that you would see around Kauffman Stadium. Um, but then, and it really, it really hit in 2013, you know, like it's Hosmer shirts and it's Perez and it's Lorenzo Cain. And, you know, there was like a real base of pride and support in the team again. And, and that's what Moore was trying to, you know, try to say, that's what he was taking all that pride in. And look like Dayton, he tends to speak from the heart, you know, um, even maybe when he shouldn't. And, you know, he's willing to be vulnerable in some ways that sports execs just often aren't. And, you know, sometimes the byproduct of that, I, I think people get a more honest view of, of where he's at, what he feels, what's in his heart, um, you know, what he sees, uh, you know, but he, he can also leave himself open, right, to, to people saying he's like not competitive enough or sees baseball secondary to other stuff or whatever. But I've always found that to be both wrong and not the point, man. That guy and the people who work for him, they are hyper competitive and you know, I think if anything, those guys, they probably take the, the little dips and valleys a little too hard, you know, living on every pitch or every game. I think Mike Matheny does that too, um, you know, even after all these years. But, you know, they do it, you know, like they also see this like broader place in the world for baseball, you know, which is where that comment, um, you know, in a small way, that, that, that's where he was coming from. That's where the youth, Urban Youth Academy comes from. Um, Dayton's Foundation, Camp, you know, there's other examples. But anyway, Rob, yeah, like we don't get a lot of these memorable moments in press conferences. Uh, I miss the more like independent availability um, that, that we used to have. I'm, I'm really hoping we get back to that soon. So, um, okay, uh, one more that's like sort of tangentially related to baseball and sports. Uh, here's Tucker. Yeah, hi, Sam. Uh, this is Tucker from Joplin, and I really enjoy the show, really enjoy your work. Okay, I saw something tonight uh, on Twitter, so it's something I've thought of for a long time, but really need to address with you important stuff like this. It has to do with the ketchup, uh, mustard, and relish race at the K. So, yes, I, it, first of all, I think it's dumb. But if it's going to be dumb, why can't they do something that's unique to Kansas City? Like, you know, in Milwaukee, they have the sausages. In Washington, they have the presidents. I know there are other examples. But, I mean, what's unique about ketchup, mustard, and relish? Like, that's that's everywhere. Why can't they do something like have a rib, like, I don't know, a piece of uh, piece of pulled pork, a piece of brisket, barbecue chicken, something. I mean, something that's unique to Kansas City. I think that would be a lot better. And um, if it's going to be dumb, at least make it dumb that's relevant to the area. All right. Thank you. Tucker, uh preach brother um the nationals they have like a president's race right and i think the the brewers do something with brats or something uh you know everything is localized right and and the hot dog race is one of those things that we all sort of agree is like both dumb and kind of fun right uh dumb and fun and if you can have dumb and fun at a baseball game where can you right um but tucker i agree 100 percent. like i'd argue it should be like ribs pulled pork burnt ends and brisket but you know, there's a million ways that you could go on this. You could sell sponsors, right? And I have no idea how this would work, like what the costumes would look like or anything. But, you know, get Gates, Joes, and Jackstack, you know, or like <laughs> like potholes, thunderstorms, and civic insecurity. Like make it make it say Kansas City, right? Uh, but you put this perfectly, Tucker. Like if you're going to go with dumb, at least make it dumb, like relative to the area, you know? 
Um, so anyway, we're really hitting all the important topics today, right, guys? Um, here's Tom. Hey, Sam. This is a question for the podcast. My name is Tom. I live in Austin, Texas. I moved here about eight years ago, although before that, basically a lifelong Kansas City resident. I was wondering about sports fandom. I've always had kind of a policy of once you pick a team in a sport, you're kind of stuck with them, uh, you know, like a pet. Uh, you know, you don't take the cat back to the shelter. You just live with it for 15 years or whatever. So Austin just recently added an MLS team, and I don't know how to approach uh, my fandom for this team. I'm not a huge Sporting KC fan, but uh, I certainly have gone to games and watched them on TV since, you know, they were the whiz. Um, uh, but I don't know how to handle, uh, or think about this, uh, this new Austin team, especially so close to my house here in Austin. So, wanted to get your thoughts about, uh, how you pick a team, what your obligations are, uh, as far as a fan goes, uh, when it comes to lifelong support. And, uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to listening to it. Thanks, Sam. So, uh, Tom, maybe I'm seeing ghosts here, but I think we might have some mutual friends. Um, but anyway, uh, my general rule on this is that nobody should ever try to tell you how to be a fan, you know, and if they do try to tell you how to be a fan, you should not listen to them on this or any other topic. So, um, uh, look, like these are all personal decisions, you know what I mean? And, and what's good for you might not be good for somebody else, vice versa, but I'll take a stab at this and, and maybe lay out some generalities. Um, if we could do that, like one of the many great things I think about sports is that it's this like awesome way for people to be connected to their hometowns if they move away, you know, or connected to, you know, where they went to college after they graduate. I think like actually this podcast has been, uh, you know, an unnecessary reminder, but just a very strong reminder of that. Like you, you hear like where these people were, you know, you're from Austin, right? Like we've had calls from, um, you know, Canada and Australia and Europe and, you know, coast to coast, north, south, everything. It's, it's, it's cool. Like this is a way for, you know, people to stay connected to, to where they're from. Um, I, I think that's one of the best things about sports. And, you know, if that's you, Tom, then, then maybe you want to hold on to your sporting stuff, you know, and, and find a way to watch their games and follow the storylines and all that. But I also think it's true that one of the many great things about sports is that it can be this way to like feel a part of something. You know what I mean? And especially when you're away from home. Now, you say you've lived in Austin for eight years, so I assume you have your people there. But if you think it'd be cool to like go to more games and, you know, have a team to root for a little easier than an expansion team, um, you know, in, in a city that you live is just about the best opportunity possible. You know what I mean? So look, like we can sort of like all or nothing. We can be, I should say, we can be like sort of all or nothing meatheads about all this stuff. But if you decided to like, you know, stick with sporting as your team, but, you know, maybe you keep it all. Austin FC shirt in the closet and, you know, um, go to some games there with, with some friends. I mean, that's entirely reasonable thing to do. Like maybe a Beesler Austin shirt is, is about as good as you can get here. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure other people would know the deal, you know, if you care about that. So either way, man, enjoy Austin. Great place. Um, one in a million in Franklin barbecue forever. Uh, love Austin. Okay. Uh, one more question. Hi, Sam. Second time, long time. Big fan of yours. My name is Pete calling from Woodside Pool, I know you are a summer aficionado. I know you're a pool aficionado. was wondering if you could make the case for the best summer cocktail, like a pina colada or a mojito. What's your favorite, and why is that the best refreshing treat that you could think of? Thanks, Sam. 
Well, Pete, uh, if that's your real name, um, I'm a big fan of yours too, buddy. Um, and, and this question is really well-timed because I think like for the first time in my life, I'm now a seasonal drink guy. I've never been that before. Uh, you know, usually I just like what I like um, all year round. And maybe it's weird to drink a bourbon in the summer or whatever, but that's what tastes good to me. So, you know, get off my back, right? But I got to tell you, uh, the weather warming up and, uh, you know, now I'm a, I'm a tequila and soda guy. Put a little lime in there, some salt. Not quite a margarita. Margaritas are too sweet, too much sugar. Just, I don't know. I don't like them. Um, I guess some people call them ranch waters in some circles. Um, I don't know. It's basically like a margarita without like the puckery, soury thing going on. You know what I mean? Um, like my problem with a lot of the summer drinks, you said like mojito and whatever else. Like just, I don't know, man. Like too sweet, too sugary, too fruity. Um, I just, I, I can't get into them. So anyway, uh, Pete, you're at the pool right now and you want to be taking down a bunch of sugar or do you want to like pare down the drinks a little bit and maybe get a club sandwich or something because i know what i'm doing ranch water and a club sandwich buddy uh i'm just saying become a tequila guy in the summer you won't regret it um all right one more break guys and then we are back with the bonus section chris and angie long all right Okay, uh, so back in December, we packed a big part of a show on Kansas City's new NWSL team. Um, at, at the time, and I still sometimes, honestly, like once a week or so, I laugh at the absurdity of this, but at, at the time, a lot of that show, it was just like this sort of bewilderment. Like, you know, these people like really bought a sports team that needs to be relocated four months before the beginning of a season during a pandemic. Uh, it's just crazy, right? Like, and, uh, anyway, they're playing now. The NWSL season, um, is, uh, two months, two, three months old. So, uh, I hope to get to a game sooner than this, but, um, schedule just didn't work out. So anyway, I went to Wednesday's game against Orlando, turned into a three, three, one loss. Um, and, but I gotta tell you, like just the broader strokes, I was, I was impressed. Um, you know, I guess I can't like really articulate my exact expectations and those things are subjective anyway but they had like 4,500 fans um, on a midweek early afternoon game you know when sporting had a game that night and it just seemed like most of them were in like team gear like engaged in the play enthusiastic I mean like we're still very much in the honeymoon phase here um, and, and KC NWSL has some ways it will attempt to, you know, extend the honeymoon, which we'll talk about soon, but it, it just, it has the feel of at least like the foundation of something that could be, you know, sustainable and, and even thrive. And anyway, I was able to catch up with Angie and Chris Long. They were nice enough to, uh, meet with me during halftime of the game, um, and kind of spilled over into some of the second half actually, but, um, you know, just talk through some of this stuff and, uh, you know, here's what they said when I asked how the, the reality so far matches up with what they're hoping for plan. And, and before we play these clips, um, there's some background noise in these. Um, so apologies in advance. You know, we were talking in a suite, you know, during the game and, you know, there's some people coming in and out, but I, I think you can get the gist of everything. So, um, okay. This is Angie first. And then she sort of like tags in Chris, um, on this answer. Um, okay, here we go. I don't know. We totally knew what to expect, <laughs> yeah. but, um, I mean, I think obviously the, the city loves our colors and our logo, and like they just want to own it yeah. here. Like, yeah. right. I mean, it's hard to find in some places. Living in the community from like an intuition standpoint, I felt pretty confident that the community was willing to show up. Not necessarily in the form of you know all the merchandise and you know, all the things you see, 
but show up in the form of wanting this team to be successful long term. And that is undoubtedly happening. I mean, I think we've got so much momentum. You know, as you know, momentum begets momentum. It's exciting. So I don't know if there's a baseline expectation other than we knew KC community was pretty special. So there's a column on the club that's up on the website right now, and hope you check it out. There's just per, there's perspective and numbers and stuff in there that we just don't have time for here. Uh, but I think this is interesting. Um, KC NWSL they're averaging about 4,600 fans uh, through the first three league home games, and you know, look, there there are reasons that this is a, a clean comparison, right? Um, but 4,600 that is more than a thousand more than any of FC Kansas City's last four seasons. And it's more than two to one what the KC Monarchs are putting in at the same stadium. So uh, the Longs have been like sort of short on sharing details about this publicly. But, you know, what lines up is just a deep and like long term commitment to make this thing thrive. And, you know, FC Kansas City and, and other teams that we've seen fail here, uh, men and women, but um, other teams that we've seen fail here. They almost always had ownership, I would say, kind of generally that either didn't have the stomach, you know, for the early challenges um, or, you know, like w- needed a lot of lucky breaks to get where they wanted um, or just try to sort of operate as like a blue light special discount entertainment option, you know, and <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Like the longs have a very different idea. You know, they, they are working through plans for uh, what would be one of uh, the country's first purpose built stadiums for a women's team like their own stadium to play in like right size you know all those things and maybe you know host some other events to uh to help out on the on the financial side of it too but um you know that that is an ambitious thing to do like they're not happy just you're not content i should say just playing at, at legends field um they're selling youth jerseys over there for a hundred and thirty dollars a hundred and thirty dollars um they're charging for parking which like I, I'm just I'm not sure I've heard of an event at that stadium that's charged for parking. I assume that that's happened at some point, but I it it's different. You know what I mean? And and this is what I mean. It's just it, it's a really interesting bet because you know if other teams have like tried to attract a wider audience with lower prices, like Casey NWSL, like they, they are confident that it has a a passionate audience and is wanting to grow off of that. Um, it is just a much more ambitious bigger goal and it's it's cool to see him go for it and i think it's it's just a really interesting play um okay we're gonna play another clip from them i think there's tons of energy and excitement around the new stadium period but i don't think we're not in a position where we don't even have a brand so i don't think we'll do a real i mean we're, we're working on getting our brand together right and i think we'll have a lot of exciting things about the brand towards the end of this year so ahead of the stadium yes yeah, so you know kind of leading into it you know yeah, yeah. um yeah, and I think that's that was what I was gonna say. I think you'll see sort of this you know, gradual unveiling yeah. of different things that are important to the team, to the community. So you know, big sponsorship announcements yeah. coming down the pike really quickly. To the unveiling of the permanent you know brand and crest and nomenclature around brand. You know, we've been working really hard at that. I mean, we've worked well down the road. So. Literally, it's sort of laying in on each and every part of it that we continue to drive the excitement level higher and higher, you know, with the with the community. So, just kind of generally speaking, like the NWSL is in an interesting place. Um, the The player salaries max out at fifty two thousand five hundred dollars. So, this is still, you know, kind of a a, a smaller league financially, right? Um, but they do have a, a national broadcast deal. And, you know, KC NWSL has a local deal with KC TV to broadcast eight games. 
Um, you know, the interest is still like very much concentrated, but it's growing at this like pretty remarkable rate. Like frontofficesports.com's website, they they track social media and brand engagement and uh, across all all leagues. And KCNWSL is consistently ranked among the best with engagement ranks. And 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 that is across all leagues here and around the world. So they're, they're tapping into something, you know, and, and this is all coming at a really interesting time, a moment uh, for women's sports too. listen to this like uh, college, the, the women's softball college world series, most viewed ever averaged 1.2 million viewers. That's up 10% from 2019, um, you know, and, and that's with kind of limited opportunity, right? Like their championship game was in the middle of a weekday afternoon, um, but they still, they, they, they're beating the NHL playoffs. You know what I mean? So college softball. Uh, most viewed ever. Uh, women's soccer final, most viewed ever. College gymnastics final got 800,000. Uh, volleyball viewership is up 28% over 2019. Uh, the WNBA uh, is up over 34% uh, from 2019. Uh, the women's college final four was the most viewed championship game since 2014. They got almost 3 million people. So um, there, there's something going on and, and there's something there to tap into and something real that that uh, KCNWSL is trying to tap into. So anyway, I asked Angie and Chris, you know, where they think that comes from and, you know, how they can capitalize on it. Well, it comes from the fact that games are finally able to be watched. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. honestly, right. I think it's, it's it becomes this, you know, virtual cycle where, you know, the more people can watch, first of all, you put it on TV and immediately we're at levels the same as the yeah. And then you start to develop your fan base and then I think you spiral from there and then, you know, the Olympics are huge. Even, you know, for women's soccer in particular, like the Olympics are huge. And all those players are going to come back and play in our league um, and everybody will be able to watch them. So, you know, we didn't have our first TV, national TV deal until last summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's um, big. And then even, you know, you think about this, like, a lot of visionaries like KC, KCTV5 here, right? Sure. Where, you know, Charlie and his team bought into the vision moment one, and, and now we have a deal where our stuff is broadcast locally. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big step. Yeah. So it's really exciting. All right, so we're going to play one more clip from Angie and Chris. Uh, the, like the, the evolution of women's sports has been a long time coming, right? And, and I think it's fair to say that it's really kind of starting to cross into the mainstream more and more than it has in the past. But there's still this like fairly large gap between what you know a competently and professionally run women's league can be and where the popularity for those sports are right now. So uh, the question I asked was just about whether the NWSL finds itself like kind of still needing to tell that story more than they should, you know, about, hey, like these are the best women's soccer players in the world and they're right here. So um, here's Angie. I thought this was interesting. Well, we shouldn't have to tell it at all. Sure. I think nationally, locally, everywhere, you know, People need to show it. I think the Olympics is an interesting model, which is it's probably the most gender neutral platform of sports broadcast compared to you know other sports out there, and you don't have viewership discrepancy amongst it. People, some like people don't want to watch women's gymnastics, right? Or women's swimming. I mean, it's uh, so yeah. So I, I think I think it's changing. I think it needs to change more quickly. Like you know, but people will watch it if you just. Yeah, the, you just talk about it, then people yeah. will, will want to be there. So. Nike had a great quote that was in Madison Square uh, on Madison Square Garden. One of those big billboards that said, "You know, the only problem with the WNBA is you're not watching it." Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think we're at an inflection point where you're seeing this sort of um, understanding that if you 
show women's sports, especially when you show best players in the world women's sports, people are going to watch it. Um, and so I think the education curve and having to, to tell the story is actually getting less and less. Um, and I think about the, like the, like the corporate conversations we've had in town. Um, everybody wants to hear about it. There isn't a need to explain like, what it is. Now, there's, there's still a gap to close, you know, on, on those conversations being held and sponsors signing up, right? And there's a gap between people saying like, hey, yeah, 100%, like I respect these women and their skill and their work. You know, there, there's a gap between that and enough people buying season tickets, right? Um, and that's the process. Those are some of the challenges. And look, like nobody could know how this will turn out, but I'm just telling you guys, like this ownership and, and who the lungs have hired, like from Amber Cox or... Pam Kramer and others like that, they have this plan where they are going to effectively like have three different launches. They already had the one, right? Like with the, the purchase of the team and the initial kits and stuff like that. And then sometime this fall or winter, they're going to have another one with more permanent brand. Um, and if things go well, then perhaps by the 2023 season, they could have their own stadium to move into. And, and at that point, like this is a little apples and oranges for a few reasons, but it's not irrelevant. Um, you know, the longs can have a moment at that point, similar to what sporting Kansas city had when it rebranded and moved into what is now, you know, children's mercy park. Um, it's just like, that's a smart way to me to, to kind of do this, to, you know, keep, you know, Chris kept saying about momentum and, and momentum begets momentum. And I think that's one of the way you, ways you do that. You stay fresh and you have, you know, sort of a, for lack of a better term, like a rebrand um, every year for, for three straight years. I mean, I think that keeps some engagement and, and keeps that momentum going. So look, like there's a long way to go still, um, you know, in terms of facilities and infrastructure and visibility, a million hoops to jump through, like build a new stadium requires like political capital, I, just a lot of things. But it does feel like the Longs and NWSL in general have tapped into something here. And something that looks better than it did a year ago or two years ago and will continue to be stronger and more visible as we go along. Um, and look, like this isn't going to pay any bills, um, right? Like it's just a personal perspective, but uh, I do hope they thrive. You know, um, maybe that's not my place as a journalist or whatever, but I, I hope they do well. We all look at these things, you know, sort of through our own lenses. And I know like parents with daughters talk a lot about, you know, wanting their girls to have, you know, strong female role models. And, and of course, like that's important, right? Like nobody would ever disagree with that. But look like again through personal lens like me and my wife we've got two boys and i i still think it's important for them to grow up in a world with examples of women doing big things you know what i mean like we're all better off for it and i think that's true whether we consciously think about it and i think it's true even you know for those who, who might not agree with what i just said um, I still think we'd be better off if, if, uh, if that team thrives. So, um, okay guys, uh, that's the show this week. I appreciate you all for listening and I hope we're worth your time. One more time. Uh, please reach out to me if you can help support us with the sports pass, please subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Uh, thanks to everybody who called in, even those who couldn't get to big thanks to Monty Davis for putting this together this week. And as always, the biggest thanks to you for giving us your time and letting us be a small part of your life. We'll be back next week. Uh, have a great weekend. Be kind.